0: And welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am on a mission to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Now coming up this week we have an update from the allotment and from our home vegetable patch. But also I've noticed there's been an increase of woolen products available for in the garden. And I've been testing a few of these out and that's what we're going to be talking about this week. But let's start off with an update from our home vegetable plot. Now this week I have actually had a bit of time off work and that has meant I've actually been able to concentrate a lot of my efforts in our home vegetable plot. I think I've said before, the allotment is coming together really nicely. I just need to spend a bit of time at home getting that the way that I want it. And this week I managed to get quite a few of those tasks ticked off. Now one of the tasks that I really wanted to concentrate on was removal of a few of our non-edible bushes, mostly at the very top of our garden. Now these are bushes we inherited when we moved in and because of where they were they have not really posed much of a problem. I'd always planned to remove them but because they were at the top of the garden they just didn't get in the way and they were sort of a case that they were out of sight and out of mind. Now, one of these was a privet bush, and the other one was this huge buddleia. So, what I did this week is, armed with my chainsaw, I cut out both of these bushes and removed those. And it was a lot of work. But I've got to say, I've tried taking these out with my battery chainsaw. The battery chainsaw is just not powerful enough to do it. So, instead, I used... A electric chainsaw that I bought a few months ago just to get through some of our thicker chunks of wood. That cut through it in no time at all. I'm a big fan of battery tools but in some cases electric or petrol tools are that much better. Anyway I cut down these bushes and removed those I then took the branches and passed those through our garden shredder and this has created some nice wood chips. Now Wood chips could go into the compost bin to help with our brown materials, but we could also use these wood chips for a bit of a mulch. I'm undecided at the moment what we're going to do with those. I've just put them into a bucket for the time being to dry out a little bit more while I decide what we do with those. We got quite a few of them as I'm sure you can imagine. Now this really did free up a lot of space at the very top of our garden and this is sort of near my shed and the patio garden area. Now what I decided to do is make this area somewhere where my water butts can live. As you probably know I've got 16 water butts in my garden in total and some of these are just scattered around the garden in places to make it easier to access. Now the idea was that these water butts were alongside some of my garden beds so that when I needed to do watering the water butts was right there to try and be a little bit more efficient. The trouble is what I felt is when I looked out from my kitchen, I would see these water butts along with our plastic Dalek compost bins as well, and I just did not like the way they looked just filled up with all these plastic containers around the garden. So I just felt they needed to move to the very top of our garden, and again, it comes back to that thing i said earlier where they're out of sight and out of mind i've got to admit it does look a lot more pleasing to the eye by having them up there still don't like the dalek compost bins but they do produce compost that's something we're going to have to look at in the future now added to that what i've also done is i've tidied an area outside my greenhouse Last week we spoke about giving the greenhouse a really good clean which I did of course and what I wanted to do outside the greenhouse we got an area that's 8 foot by 8 foot or 2.4 meters by 2.4 meters and I thought this is going to make a nice nursery area. So I gave that area a good sweep and tidy up and then I measured it all up and start drawing plans. The idea is that I can have a few cold frames and grow houses in this area. So when I start seeds off, if I do have heating in them, because it's gonna be a smaller area to heat, it might just make it a little bit more cost effective to heat a cold frame as opposed to heating the greenhouse. And then it also provides me with a bit more room inside of other areas to keep my process I like to think of seed sowing as a production line. So I start seeds off in one area and we move them along to other areas. I think when I build this nursery area, that will come into its own. Now, in terms of actually growing food, of course, this is what this podcast is about. It's October now. Everything's drawing to a close. I don't believe that for one second. We garden right throughout. And one of the things that I do like is to be able to grow some winter salads. So I went over to my medium veggie pod and I gave that a bit of care. Now my medium veggie pod, if you don't know what veggie pod is, it's basically a raised bed with an integrated watering system and built in protection cover. It's a great piece of kit and we get great results from it. Now I break my medium veggie pod down to four areas. Each corner is a different area and in one of the corners, I've actually sown some salad seeds which are germinating. We just wait for those to grow up before they are ready. But the other three corners were in need of a bit of care. I removed all the remaining plants from these three corners and then I just added a bit of fresh compost. Now, to define out the areas, I planted out some Swiss chard that we had in plug plants. These were grown from seed in plug plant starters. Planted those out just to define the areas. And then into each corner, I sowed some seeds. So in one corner, we sowed some mustard, which are great for overwintering. Some lamb's lettuce, another cold weather loving plant. And then in the final corner, a winter variety of lettuce. Now, all of these should germinate and we may have to thin them out to give ourselves plenty of room, but I'm expecting good results from all of these. Going to be a lot of fun to see what happens with these. And best of all, they're going to provide us with plenty of fresh greens throughout the winter months, which I also think is a good thing because it's cold. doesn't mean we can't eat healthy now that brings us to the end of the veg plot update for this week but one thing i've been experimenting a lot with this year is woolen products we're going to be talking about that shortly in the podding shed but first let's find out what's been happening with the supporters club this week We'll get back to the content in just a moment. But firstly, I just want to remind you about our Supporters Club. Our Supporters Club is how we keep this podcast running. It adds fuel to the tank, if you like. To be a member, head to theveggogowerpodcast.co.uk and sign up. I charge £5 a month to be a member. But for that, you get extra behind-the-scenes podcasts as well as a collection of seeds sent to your door each and every month. And we've just sent out October's seeds in this last week. But... Over this last week in the Supporters Club, we've also been looking at seeds that we can sow throughout October, as well as a few tasks that we're going to be trying to tackle in our allotment and veg gun throughout October. So, extra content. But you might not be in a position to become a supporting member. I completely understand that. But you still want to support the podcast. Well, if you could leave us a review, I would really appreciate it. By rating and reviewing this podcast, you help other people find this podcast who might be interested in growing their own food. And we've had quite a few little comments over the last month, actually. So, first of all, Pixie Pooh Bear on iTunes has said, Fab podcast, such great advice, practical, and really nice to listen all year round. Uh, Doodle181 has said, Love this podcast. Richard's voice is very relaxing, and the information is spot on. Uh, These are all great comments and great feedback, and I really do appreciate each and every one. So if you could do that, that would really help me out a lot. Right, let's go find out about these woolen products. Over the past couple of years, I've noticed that there has been a lot of garden products that are made from wool hitting the market. Now, if you ask me, I think this is a great idea. I'm a firm believer that all our garden products that we use should be natural and compostable. And wool certainly hits the those points. Now, it is also known that farmers have been struggling with sheep fleeces. The cost of shearing the sheep fleeces is more than what the farmers can sell the fleeces for. Now, if you are against animal products, you might be completely in agreement with that. And I completely understand that, I'll be honest with you. I do understand if you don't like the use of animal products. But what i would say is that sheeps are always going to need shearing so we might as well pot that sheep's wool to some use regardless that's my stance on it but i completely understand if you don't agree with it but seeing these woolen products arrive on market is got me thinking and experimenting with how well these things actually work. And I thought I'll go through some of the ones that I have used, especially the ones I've experimented with over this last year, because I think it is quite interesting. Now, the first product, I'm sure we've all heard of wool pellets as slug pellets. The science behind it is that slugs generally don't like the smell of wool and therefore they stay away from it. That's how it was explained in layman's terms, anyway. Now, whether this is true or not is open for debate, but I did use these a few years ago now. I haven't used pellets of any form for a number of years, but a few years ago in my greenhouse when we did have a bit of a slug and snail problem, and I don't like to use the standard poison slug pellets. So I used these woolen pellets in my greenhouse just to see how well it would work. And I've got to say that they actually worked out quite nicely they weren't perfect don't get me wrong but they did deter quite a few slugs and snails and help me keep those populations down in all honesty they are usually labeled for slugs snails don't seem as bothered by them but that's a whole other thing to be honest when it comes to slugs and snails the thing i would like to use more than anything is nature the birds the hedgehogs to tackle these so It may not be an option, but I think it's something certainly to think about. And the good thing is when you lay these woollen pellets down, after a while, they do break down into the soil. So therefore, they're going to add some of those nutrients into the soil. Now, last year, I actually spoke to a lovely lady from a company called horty wool and horty wool produce wool mats that can be used for seed starting or in hanging basket liners and i've been using these mats this year for those very uses and we've had some great results actually so the first thing that i did with them was to use them for seed starting i just simply took a sheet of this wool mat laid it down in a tray sowed a few seeds on top kept the wool moist and their seeds germinated and then we had to prick them out and into pots they actually worked i was very surprised they worked quite well the only trouble i did find is that they grew so well that if the seedling grew a bit too big the roots were possibly snapping as we were trying to prick them out so you had to keep an eye on them and pot them on as soon as they were possible but in terms of germination pretty good and the wool mat did seem to hold on to moisture quite well now some seeds do need a bit of darkness and it didn't quite work so well for that because you're not actually able to bury the seeds you just lay the seeds on top at the same time it was good to see how well your seeds could germinate if you were testing germination rates. so something to think about is what i would say with that I also used these as hanging basket liners. And I've got to say, what I did is I grew a couple of baskets with haughty wool liner and a couple of baskets with coir liner. And both of these had tomatoes growing in them. The haughty wool ones, the tomatoes grew better, produced more and looked like stronger plants. In fact, they're still surviving at the moment. Whereas the ones in coir were not as good and have all died back now now i think what has happened with this and this is just me hypothesizing i guess you could say is that because the wool is acting as a bit of a sponge a bit of a moisture trap it's enabled the soil inside the basket to stay moist for a little bit longer i think it is a great idea for that and it does really have seemed to work very well for me the difficulty is that when i was laying the haughty wool mat into the basket and we had to cut it round it was a little bit tricky a little bit tricky but we got there i think with practice we will get much better at doing that but what I also did with these wool pads as a bit of an experiment was actually use them as a wicking mat. Now usually when I start my seeds off I would have a tray in which I place a bit of capillary matting and then I would fill up pots of compost with the seeds that I'm going to sow on top of that capillary matting and that way the the pots would wick up moisture from the matting and stay moist. So what I did is actually experiment with the wool mat to see how well that worked. Got to say, it worked very, very well. But it then ends up in the compost bin. So capillary matting, I was always wary about throwing in the compost bin because I don't know what's in it. This is just wool, just wool, nothing else. So yeah, it has worked really well really well for that now another product that i have been testing this year is from a company called wool pots and these are woolen pots very simple now i actually met these at the beginning of the year and i was given a few samples and what i saw is at Garner's world live in birmingham they had a stand there and they were the official company or the official pot of the show so what i mean by that if you were to buy a plant at gardeners world live it would obviously be in a plastic pot most likely and you could take it to this stand and they would pot it up into one of their woolen pots for free that way the plastic pot that you originally had would go into the recycling bin and get reused or whatever just a way of making Garner's World a little bit more environmentally friendly but you would take home your plant inside the woollen pot and then you could just plant that pot straight into the ground where it would rot away in the ground now I brought a plant from Gardener's World Life and brought it home in this woollen pot. And it actually didn't work too badly. The only trouble I did find it was a little bit unstable in the bag while moving around throughout the day. But that can happen with plastic pots anyway. It just seemed a little bit worse for this woollen pot. Now the other thing I found at this show was because the company was just using the compost that the plant already came in, The woolen pots themselves might have been a little bit bigger and needed a bit more compost just to hold its shape a bit better. wasn't a huge problem, but it was something to bear in mind, I found. However, as I said, we had a few of these pots at home and I was trialling these out. Now, what we did is we took a few chili plants and aubergine plants when they were young. We potted them up into these woolen pots. What these woolen pots actually are, I guess the easiest way to describe it is like a woolen sock that you would fill with compost and your plants and then just grow in that. They actually stood quite nicely when they were full of compost. They held their shape not too bad. They weren't as good as plastic pots, so they didn't have quite the same rigidity. But they did do quite a good job so because we could just plant the plants straight into the ground inside these woolen pots for me that was a great thing as well because it saved a lot of time and reduced waste and again they did work really really well actually i was very surprised i expected these because they're quite free draining i expected that we were going to have to water all the plants inside these pots quite regularly but no They did pretty good at that. Now, I have seen these in garden centres a lot as well. And what I like about these, you would buy a pack of them from a garden centre. There's probably 10 in a pack. But this pack is no bigger than a pair of socks that are rolled up. They are pretty small. Now, this is good because it makes transporting these a lot easier. So if you do go to a garden centre and you don't have a car, you're relying on Walking or public transport, something that I used to have to do a lot of, it was easy to get these pots home. So, definitely something that I have found that works quite well. Now, the final wool product that I want to talk about today is something that I've actually brought, but I haven't had the chance to test it just yet because I've only just came across this quite recently. What this is is a wood preserver made from wool. I liked this idea. I had to do quite a bit of research and talking to the company to find out more about it. And from what I understand is that it's non-toxic, so we can use it in our vegetable beds without any problems, and we can use it on our garden tools. And that's the main things that I was looking to use this for. When I build some new garden beds, I want to make sure the wood has got a fighting chance and try and preserve it a little. But I don't want to use any chemicals that might leach into the soil and therefore into my food. So I did think this wool product was a good option. And the other thing I'm likely to use them on are my wooden handled gun tools. Usually I would use a linseed oil, which is a natural well-known product. But these woolen products work out just as well as a wood preserver. Then this might be where I go to as well. Now that is just a few of the wooden products that I am aware of but if you have any products that you have used then please do let me know and if you are interested in any of these products I have added links to these in the show notes for this podcast so please do go and check it out. Now it's that time of the podcast where we go to Chef Scott's kitchen and we find out what he's got cooking for us this week.
1: Hi it's Scott here and this week we have another curry recipe using the base gravy we made a few weeks ago and this time it's a recipe for a lamb booner a rich curry with a thick sauce finished with fresh tomatoes and coriander so let's jump straight into the recipe ingredients for the lamb 400 grams of diced lamb I use leg but you could use shoulder one teaspoon of paprika one teaspoon of ground cumin one teaspoon of ground coriander half a teaspoon of turmeric a drizzle of olive oil and hundred milliliters of water ingredients for the curry one diced red onion about 150 grams when diced one green pepper diced large about 100 grams one teaspoon of garlic paste one teaspoon of ginger paste one red chili sliced one cardamom pod two bay leaves half a stick of cinnamon, one teaspoon of mustard seeds, two teaspoons of Kashmiri chilli powder, one teaspoon of garam masala, one teaspoon of ground cumin, one teaspoon of ground coriander, one teaspoon of paprika, one teaspoon of tomato paste, 230 grams of the Kirib base gravy, and 80 grams of cherry tomatoes, and one bunch of coriander. Method. Start by mixing the lamb with the spices, oil and water, then place in a baking dish and cover tightly with tinfoil and bake in the oven for 30 minutes at 190 degrees or until the lamb becomes tender and set aside. Or at this point you could chill the mixture and freeze so it's ready to go for a curry at a later date. I often do this if I see lamb on offer because of a short self-life but don't want to make a curry that day. It also speeds up the process of making the curry when I do want to make it. Now the lamb is cooked we can make a start on the curry. Add a good splash of oil to a wok or deep frying pan and on a medium high heat add the mustard seeds, cardamom pod, bay leaves and cinnamon and temper them in the oil until the mustard seeds start to pop. Then add the onions and start to brown them along with the green pepper and chilli. Once the onions are browned add the ginger and garlic paste followed by the tomato paste and the rest of the spices Cook the spices out for a couple of minutes then add the lamb along with the juices and on a high heat reduce so the pan becomes dry again the oil will split out but don't worry when it's reduced it will come good now add the base gravy and bring back to the boil and reduce down to a thick sauce then add the cherry tomatoes and coriander Cook for another couple of minutes and that's the recipe done. I hope you give it a try and enjoy it.
0: Well, thank you, Scott, once again for sharing that lovely recipe for us. I do really enjoy Scott's recipes and I think they are a great way to use our vegetable produce. Now, if you want to find a written version of that recipe along with Scott's other recipes, then head to the VeggrowPodcast.co.uk, and there you will find them. Now I am sat on the allotment, it's time for our allotment update and I I really enjoy sometimes just sitting down on the allotment and taking in the scenery and looking across the place and seeing what we have achieved I think it's one of those things that we don't do enough of sitting down and just appreciating our allotment for what it is and I do actually think it's same as at home in the garden sitting down sometimes makes all the difference now what have I been doing this week? I've been keeping a close eye on my pumpkins. We are in October, of course, and I always think pumpkins and October, especially Halloween, seem to go together. And we're probably starting to see pumpkins appear in supermarkets and green grocers in order for them to be sold ready for Halloween. I always personally think it's a bit of a shame that pumpkins are only really used for carving. I personally grow our pumpkins for food but nonetheless it's one of the reasons that pumpkins are grown and I've been observing my pumpkin plants themselves. I've got about four different pumpkins that are going to be ready in time for Halloween. The Plants themselves are starting to die back. Leaves are starting to turn a little bit brown. But the pumpkins themselves, what I always look for before I harvest them, is the stalk that attaches the pumpkin to the plant itself. When that starts to turn brown and dry off, we know that it's time to start harvesting those pumpkins. So I'm keeping a close eye on those at the moment. They are starting to turn brown, but not completely brown just yet. It won't be long Till these pumpkins are ready and one of the things I find with pumpkins because they've got this long sprawling mass of plant it's very difficult when they go across grass areas to try and keep the area tidy and trim so in some ways I'll be glad when the pumpkins are gone so I can run down those areas with the strimmer and lawnmower to tidy it up but nonetheless the whole point of these plants are to produce food and that's what they are doing Now, moving on from that, I have gone over my final onion bed and just removed any of the last onions that we had. This bed had onions that grown from seed and I generally don't grow onions from seed preferring sets just because I find it saves a lot of time. So I was quite surprised that these onions from seed didn't do too bad. I will say they weren't as big as our onions from sets but they didn't do too bad. We got a good amount of onions from them. But that bed, I just checked that there were no onions left, gave it a good hoe. And what I'm going to be doing in this bed particularly, this bed has had no fresh compost added recently. And it does need a bit of compost. But we don't really have any compost that is ready from our compost bins just yet. So it's going to be a while. What I've done instead is I've planted out filled beans into these beds. Now filled beans are a green manure or a cover cup and we just simply bury the seeds in the ground and we leave them to grow much like broad beans which we can also be doing at this time of year and we just let those grow they will produce these beautiful bean plants and they add nitrogen to the soil and they create this fantastic green material that can be used for our compost beans and what have you so I always think green manures are a good thing to grow anyway they also stop nutrients from being washed out over winter and that's where they get the term cover crop from so I'm a big fan of growing green manures anyway and this bed has got field beans sown in it now which will soon start growing and grow over the winter now I have taken down our bolotti beans, they've come to an end, it was time for those to go. We've had a good lot of bolotti beans I've got to say and these are dried beans with those beautiful reddy, browny and white specks across the beans. They've done really really well and we've got a good lot in our larder and I've actually saved quite a few seeds to sow next year. So hopefully next year we're going to end up with even more bolotti beans than what we've had this year. But those plants came to an end, so I've removed the canes and put those back into storage. I've removed the plants and they've gone into the compost. And once again, I've just cleared over this bed to make sure no weeds or anything like that was growing in it. And once again, field beans have gone into that. That bed is going to be used for potatoes next year. So potatoes are quite hungry plants. Therefore, adding the field beans to it will just help them out and hopefully help us produce better potatoes next year one of the other green manures I tend to use and I sowed this a few weeks ago is facilia which at the moment hasn't shown any signs of life but there's still chance we'll wait and see what happens Facilia is probably my favorite green manure because it is so good at reducing the amount of couch grass that we have here on the allotment. Now the final thing that I've done is I've given my asparagus bed a bit more love and attention. I've been making sure that we try and reduce the amount of weeds in the asparagus bed as much as possible. It's been a pretty difficult bed to try and do that win if I'm honest with you. I, When I set the asparagus bed up I didn't clear it and prepare it well enough. It was actually about this time of year eight years ago when I set this bed up. What I should have done is just dug it over thoroughly, removed all the weeds and made sure weeds didn't come back. And I didn't do that. I, I gave it a very quick going over. I planted my asparagus crowns and I've suffered ever since. We've done pretty good out of the asparagus, to be fair. It's just the amount of weeds have made it very difficult. And Asparagus does tend to hate weeds. Now, if I was to be planting more asparagus crowns, I would actually be planting those in autumn like I did with this bed. In the past, I've tried spring-planted asparagus crowns, but they have struggled to really establish. I find if you can get autumn plants established over autumn, they seem to do much better for me. And that's the same with bare-rooted fruit trees or bushes as well. If you can plant those in the autumn, they're much better... For establishing, and I believe it's just because the soil is going to be moist for longer. Therefore, the roots are able to establish themselves. But it's asparagus bed. What I've been doing: I've cleared out the weeds. We've added some seaweed that I've collected from our local beach, just over the top as a mulch. Now, seaweed is quite good for asparagus we found asparagus ancestry does seem to originate from the coast so therefore it can tolerate a little bit of salt that we get on the seaweed and most of the other weeds don't like the salt so a combination of seaweed and compost seem to really help our asparagus out and that's something I keep doing so that's what's been happening on the allotment this week it's Certainly starting to draw in and wind down. We do tend to garden right throughout the winter here, of course, so that's not the end of the season for us by a long shot. We will continue right throughout the winter here. But that also brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Hope you have enjoyed it and you're going to start looking for some of these woolen products that are out and about and think about using them yourselves. Well, if you have enjoyed this podcast, then please do leave us a review on your podcast provider. I really do appreciate it, and it helps us get found by more people who will be interested in growing their own food. If you have really enjoyed this podcast and want to help support the work that we do, then please consider becoming a member of our Supporters Club. Details on that at theveggrowerpodcast.co.uk. Now, if you do want to reach out and get in touch, then please do head to our website, theveggagrowpodcast.co.uk and leave us a voicemail just by clicking the button. It's very simple to do. Leave us a comment, leave us a question, and we can feature that in upcoming podcasts. Or if you want to reach out by email, my email address is richard at theveggagrowpodcast.co.uk uk and of course don't forget to follow us on social media instagram facebook we have the facebook group as well if you want to chat to other people interested in growing their own food too tiktok youtube etc etc please do go give us a follow right that is it for this week we will be back again next time so until then please take care